Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm your host, Natalie Pearson. Have you ever heard of Kawi? Much of what is considered classical in Indonesian history, such as the Borobudur Temple Complex or the Kingdom of Majapahit, is a product of Kawi culture. In fact, Indonesian society emerged from the ancient traditions of Kawi culture, which stretch back over a thousand years. The symbols and ideas of Kawi culture continue to define Indonesian identity, such as in Javanese Wayang, Balinese temples, and even the national motto Bineka Tunggal Ika, which is quoted from a Kawi poem. So what is Kawi and why is it the classical civilization no one has ever heard of? To answer these questions, I am joined by Dr. Wayan Jara Sastrawan, a postdoctoral research fellow at the EFEO in Paris. Jara is a historian who specialises in the pre-modern history of Indonesia. He has written and spoken widely on the history of Indonesia and Malaysia, and his current research focuses on the development of social institutions and state formation in 8th to 10th century Java. Hi, Jara. Welcome back to CX Stories. Thank you very much, Natalie. I'm very, very happy to be back at SIAC at the University of Sydney. Jara, I want to start by apologising for calling Kawi the classical civilization no one has ever heard of. That's partly why I wanted to get you on the podcast to tell us what Kawi is. So is it a script, a language or a culture? The answer is it's all three of those things. The word Kawi is an Indonesian word, a Javanese word that originally comes from a Sanskrit word, Kavi. And in Sanskrit, that word means a poet, but it also has broader connotations of a person who creates, who brings things into being. And the word Kawi as a poet was absorbed into the languages of Indonesia around about 1000 to 1500 years ago, when Sanskrit and Indian culture in general was having a strong influence on the cultures of Southeast Asia. So the word Kawi was absorbed into the Javanese language in particular. And in that language, because it meant poet, it came to denote the sense of high literature. So the great stories of the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, which were expressed in verse form, new stories that were invented in Java, in Bali, and put into verse, into poetic form, were associated with this figure of the Kawi. And the Javanese developed a very strong respect for literary production. So when we go back to your question, Kawi in its early understanding in Javanese culture meant the language of poets. So the kind of language that is used for producing beautiful works of literature. As Javanese culture developed, the ancient poetry became more and more difficult to understand. So as the Javanese language changed, as the culture changed, as many Javanese converted to Islam and there was a general trend towards modernity, the old poems of a thousand years ago retained their aura, retained their importance, but the language became more and more obscure, just as has happened in English as well. We struggle to read Shakespeare easily and the, the further back we go, the more difficult the English language is for us to understand today. So that language then became known as the poet's language and it came to denote not just the words that were difficult to understand, but also the script that was difficult to read. So 
the ancient scripts that were used, which were different to the scripts of modern Javanese, also came to be known as Kawi. So here we have a term that increasingly denotes not just poetry, not just the language of poets, but really the whole literary heritage of that ancient period. It was a way for modern Javanese to look back and say those great works of art, that great culture that we once had, but is now a bit distant from us, all of that is Kawi. And so that's the idea behind what I'm here to talk about today, is expanding that not just as a language, not just as a script, but as an entire culture. Because I believe, and me and my colleagues who work in this field are coming to the realization that all of the works of art, all of the literature, all of the script, in fact, belongs to a much broader cultural framework or a cultural tradition that we can call Kawi, that, that is associated with the high culture of Java and of Bali and of important parts of Indonesia a very long time ago. You've just used the word tradition, which perhaps answers the question I'm about to ask you. But would you describe Kawi culture as a living culture today? Where would we find Kawi culture? Kawi culture is an old tradition that continues to live in new ways today. It's important to recognize that it is a historical phenomenon. So it the classical forms of Kawi culture, like you mentioned in your introduction, the Hindu Buddhist temples, the old kingdoms, the old inscriptions and works of literature that were created then, that's where Kawi culture developed and, and thrived. But it didn't simply die when those kingdoms fell and when they were replaced by new states. It didn't die when the language changed and became something different. It didn't die when new religions such as Islam and Christianity came to Indonesia. It continues to live in a wide variety of ways. And you mentioned the Wayang, for example. So a good example there is in Javanese shadow puppetry, the stories that presented very often are those which derive from the older period, from the Kawi period, those of a Hindu character, such as the Mahabharata and Ramayana, those of more local Javanese character, like the Panji stories. Those stories, even though they are delivered in modern Javanese to the audiences to understand them, nevertheless continue to contain a lot of the old language. So the speech of the high characters continues to quote from the old version of the Kawi language, the use of mantras within the Wayang performance in particular moments of, of importance of benediction and blessing often quote also from old Kawi texts. So that's one example in which that very old thousand year old culture continues to emerge and appear within the context of more recent or more modern kinds of Indonesian culture. We often hear the term Java centrism when we're talking about Indonesia, whereby Javanese culture dominates, assimilates or influences other cultures across Indonesia. What does the study of Kawi culture offer in terms of resisting ethnocentric and also nationalist, i.e. Indonesia-centric discourses? And also how is Kawi culture different from Javanese culture? It sounds like they're very similar to me. This is a really important point. Kawi culture is a new idea. 
the, the term Kawi is old, like I said before, but the notion of a Kawi culture is a construct that we are developing as a group of scholars who are working in this field. And we chose the terms very deliberately, both the term culture and the term Kawi. There's no doubt that Kawi at its core, the Kawi culture at its core, has the old Javanese language. And the old Javanese language is important in Indonesia because it was a language which was originally that of a particular ethnic group of people, the Javanese people, but quickly from the ninth century onwards became a literary language for a broader group of people, including those who never spoke Javanese natively, who never spoke it at home, who lived outside Java. From the, eighth, from the ninth century onwards, such as in Bali, for example, they adopted old Javanese as their literary language, as their language of administration. So we note, for example, that in Bali, the earliest inscriptions, the earliest texts that we have from Bali date from the ninth century. And for a century and a half is, not surprisingly, the Balinese language which is used for kings to tell their subjects what to do and what was allowed and what was not allowed. And then at some point in the 11th century, there's a switch and they suddenly start to use Javanese. And there's a number of reasons for that. But from that point on, the old Javanese language was the language of literary production of high status texts in Bali. And it is continues to be to the present day. So we might imagine Javanese, old Javanese at that time playing a role more like Latin in medieval Europe, where people spoke their own languages, but in order to cross ethnic or national boundaries, in order to talk about science, in order to talk about theology, in order to talk about high value activities, they used high status language that they felt was appropriate for those kinds of subjects. So the reason that we choose Kawi first is because it is not specifically the cultural heritage only of the Javanese people. So this is a really important point, even though there's no doubt that the language that we refer to as, as Kawi is old Javanese, it was used by and central to the lives of more than the Javanese people. And in that way, we use the term Kawi in order to reflect that cosmopolitan nature of the language and the way that it was used. It's also important to note that Kawi influenced also those vernacular languages. So the communities that were particularly influenced by Kawi culture were those, unsurprisingly, that neighbor Java. So the Sundanese of West Java, the Balinese people in Lombok, those regions that were geographically closest to the sort of center Madurese. And those languages were influenced strongly by Kawi, by the influence of old Javanese in the development of speech registers, for example. We know that in Balinese or in Sundanese, there are different levels of language that you use to address people who are of higher status than you or lower status than you, including different words for all kinds of everyday verbs in particular, but also personal pronouns and things. And we can see the way in which the cosmopolitan Kawi language has influenced the development of each of those vernacular languages over time when we look at the inscriptions, when we look at the manuscripts that come out of them. That's the way in which the idea of Kawi as a language and as a culture is one which, while grounded historically in Java and in the Javanese 
language is not limited by it and therefore is not ethnocentric in that sense. We're not talking about, has been part of the discourse in earlier periods about Javanese cultural influence or even cultural imperialism in some models of Indonesian history. The idea of Kawi is one which is not about the domination or influence of one particular ethnic group over others, but rather the use of a particular culture and particular set of norms as a bridge, as a meeting place between a number of different cultures in Indonesia. You mentioned also nationalism and the question of whether Kawi is a nationalistic concept. And part of the reason also that we are investing in this term Kawi is because it's also not reducible to Indonesian. So it's not identical to ancient Indonesian culture. Kawi is a particular vernacular culture that existed and exists in Indonesia. It's particularly influential in certain areas of Indonesia and less so in others. And we can't draw clear geographical boundaries about where the limits of Kawi culture are because we see that the further out you go from Java, traces and elements of Kawi culture still appear. One good example of that is in South Sulawesi, where there exists the term lontarak, which is a term referring to palm leaf books. From the form of that word, it is absolutely not a Makassaris or a Bugis word. It is a Javanese loan word. It's a loan, Javanese loan word from the period in which Kawi culture was dominant. So we have a literary or scriptural tradition in Makassar, which simply from the etymology of the terms used, we can see has been strongly influenced in one way or another by the Kawi culture that is general throughout Java, Bali, West Java, Madura, and Lombok. So you've mentioned a number of times we and a group of emerging scholars can you tell us more about the level of engagement with Kawi culture and this sort of resurgence of interest from what was thought to be something that was unpopular among students and academics? And I think you described it as a jalan sunyi, a lonely road. But now it seems like you're talking about a community of people who are involved in this revitalization of Kawi culture. Who is at the forefront of this revitalization? The study of ancient Indonesian culture is one of these things which it's popular to lament in a lot of instances. It's seen as something which is important, but there is tendency to view it as something which, because it's such a long time ago, because it requires such specialist skills of learning these very old languages and reading these old scripts, because it involves lots of archaeology and looking at statues and ruins and those kinds of things, it is sort of exoticized in that way. And so there is a discourse in which that young people, it's partly also sort of a stereotypical narrative of young people these days aren't interested in history, which happens all over the world. A general idea, they would much rather be interested in computers and modern technologies than their past. But I don't think this is particularly true or borne out in Indonesia because Kawi culture is so recognized as an important aspect, one important aspect of Indonesian culture and Indonesian life, I found that there is real passionate interest among Indonesians in general about their past, about 
about monuments, about the language, about the history, the cultures, the kingdoms, and all of those things are mediated through Kawi culture. So there is a general public, an awareness of the importance of that culture, even if it hasn't yet been conceptualized as a coherent unit. So even if the term Kawi culture or in Indonesia, Budaya Kawi is not yet widespread, is not yet generally known or understood, nevertheless, it encapsulates a culture and a set of heritage that has long been of importance to Indonesians and continues to be. You mentioned the group of scholars. So in the last, I would say in the last 10 to 15 years, there has been a generation of relatively younger scholars in Indonesia who have been highly active in the development and in the study of Kawi culture from a very wide range of disciplines and angles. These disciplines include literary studies, history, geography, archaeology, anthropology, cultural studies, linguistics, and digital humanities. Yes. So it's a really broad sense, a really broad range of ways to approach the culture. And I'd like to talk about a few of those specifically because I think it's good to illustrate how those disciplines come into play. The scholars and academics who are emerging have done so thanks to a number of really good opportunities that Indonesians have had over the last decade or so in order to first develop the study of Kawi culture in whichever discipline they're in, so whether philology or archaeology, history, literature, through study both in Indonesia but also study abroad, through scholarships and programs for masters and PhD programs, through in particular the a series of old Japanese language courses that ran through the collaboration of the National Museum, uh, the National Library, sorry, of Indonesia, and the AFAO, my institution, which over a number of years brought together students both from Indonesia and overseas to train intensively in the study of the Kawi language, which is the gateway to all the different aspects of Kawi culture. Finally, this year, my colleagues and I who had participated in those activities and who had, through our work, become community of academics and scholars who focus our attention on Kawi culture, convened and brought together a large conference in at Udayana University in Bali. So that was the International Kawi Culture Festival held in August 2023, just in case someone's listening to this at a different time. Where can we find out more about this Kawi culture? Are you planning to publish proceedings from the conference or...? So we so we held this conference in Bali, went for three days of seminars and then a field trip on the fourth day. And the idea behind the conference was to gather together many people who are active in the study of Kawi culture as possible and begin wide range of conversations about different ways in which we can push those discussions and learn from each other very importantly about how Kawi culture looks from other perspectives, from, say, the perspective of other disciplines, from the perspective of other regions. So the seminars from that conference will be made public in gradual stages online. Um, So we plan to upload the videos for each of those panel sessions and those discussions. 
largely in Indonesian, but we had a number as well of English language contributors. We won't be producing a proceeding straight away, but we will be putting together a special issue of the academic journal Wachana, which is published from Universitas Indonesia, cultural studies journal, on the theme of Kawi culture. So we will open up call for papers for that journal and encourage people to who work in the field, who, who study this, this area to contribute. We anticipate that many of the people who are active and who are given papers in, in other contexts and, and who work in the area will contribute papers to that. So that will be a really useful overview uh, from an academic point of view of all the different ways in which we can engage with Kawi culture and the kinds of work that's being done in that area. So we hope that issue will emerge around late 2025. And we're in the process now of laying the groundwork. Academic timelines, huh? I'm aware we don't have much time left. I did just want to come back to that point you mentioned earlier about giving us an example of the kinds of research that is included in the scope of Kawi culture. Could you give us one or two examples? Yes. So as I mentioned, the core meaning of Kawi traditionally has been focused on literature. It's about the production of works of literary art. But we see that those traditions influence a whole range of different ways of cultural production. History is a very important one, for example. We see how the narratives of the texts that were written in Kawi are depicted in visual form on the reliefs of walls of temples throughout Java and Bali, the way in which, say, the story of Krishnayana or Ramayana or Sri Tanjung appears in graphical form. We see how the study of anthropology, which is generally conceived of as being focused on contemporary life or modern life, in fact, is a very important way for us to see how Kawi culture lives in the present. So we have a number of anthropologists in our circle in Kawi field who are working on how local communities in Indonesia, whether in Lombok or in central Java, are continuing to preserve traditions, but more importantly than preserve, also continue to embody them and to give them life. So how those traditions are transformed, how they continue to be relevant, how they're modified and and continue to serve the interests of diverse communities. And also then how Kawi culture, which is, like I said, a sort of cosmopolitan high culture, interacts with specific local contexts. So from, say how the Sasak culture of Lombok interacts with its engagement with Kawi culture and very important then for us to compare across regions to see how, for example, another society such as the Badwi in West Java, who speak a different language, but also have a very important connection to that shared Kawi culture. So those are two traditional examples. And one last discipline I'd like to talk about is the digital humanities side, because that's another very important area of growth in the study of Kawi culture. And it goes back to my comment about what young people are interested in. In fact, there is no contradiction between an interest and focus on modern technologies, on computation, and the study of the ancient Kawi culture. Rather, they help each other because through our understanding of particularly tools of digital humanities, so for example, text analysis using computational methods, whether it's corpus linguistics, whether it's text encoding, the use of questions about 
text management and particularly about font and the encoding of glyphs is very important because what we find in the tradition is that Kawi is not tied to one particular script or way of writing and that Kawi texts are expressed in a whole range of ways using the ancient Kawi script, using more modern forms of say Balinese or Javanese or Sundanese script, and then in the 19th and 20th century in Romanization. So we have a whole treasury of Kawi texts all in different scripts. I like that you use the word treasury. I am hearing this and thinking, goodness, that sounds very hard to study. So I think introducing this digital humanities lens is really interesting, actually, in terms of coding and deciphering and determining typologies. Yeah. For the tools of digital humanities can be relevant on the whole spectrum. So as I said, from the textual side, so representing, creating digital texts from the Kawi corpus and of the Kawi corpus. Analysis of language is also very important. So the use of of online and digital dictionaries, the work of lexicography using digital tools rather than manually creating as used to be done. Sort of the manual work of di dictionary making is very long and fraught. So we have now tools for text analysis that can advance that. But even if we move more towards the concrete side of digital humanities towards the artifactual, we have a range of ways of imaging artifacts, whether they are statues, whether they're reliefs, whether they're archaeological fragments or inscriptions, so stones and, and copper plates inscribed with text. We're able to use digital imaging, 3D modeling, and enhancement of those images to better engage with those materials, to better see the text, and also to share. So we're able to make the study and the knowledge of Kawi more generally accessible more open thanks to the, the very great ability of digital technologies to share information large distances. Okay, last question. You said that Kawi culture is something of a construct. It's been revitalized in the last decade or so. Why does it matter how we conceptualize classical civilizations? There are a number of reasons why it's important. For me, and I think what is primarily important, is that the history of any culture continues to influence its present. We, in order to understand why Indonesia is the way it is, we have to be able to see it in long time depth. Even if the further back we go, the more unfamiliar it all seems. And that's that everybody experiences, that anyone who studies history experiences the estrangement that it comes when you look back further and further and further and society becomes more and more different to what we know. But so many of the traditions and ways of working and ways of existing have these very old roots. So one very, in a way simple, but also quite important example is the modern Indonesian concept of oleh oleh. This is when you travel and you bring gifts back to your family and friends back home. This is a concept which is found in the 10th century poem Ramayana, with the same wording, uli uli, slightly different pronunciation. And it means exactly the same thing. This idea, this practice and concept is one which has been rooted in Indonesian culture for a very, very long time indeed. And I think that in order to understand ourselves better, we need to know these things, right? When we realize that that's the case, 
we think, oh, okay, so this practices, this part of who I am, this way that I relate to other people has this deeper history, this deeper trajectory. And I think that that's the most important reason. There are other reasons as well. There are questions about national identity, for example, which are about understanding who we are as a people, who we are as a nation, by looking back to, say, earlier states or older kingdoms or older cultures, what defines us particularly as a unique culture are those heritage, uh, those that cultural heritage that is passed down, whether it's tangible, such as buildings and, and objects, or whether it's intangible, such as practices and traditions such and stories. Such as ole ole. Exactly. Such as a social practice like that. Mm-hmm. There are certainly more pragmatic reasons as well, things to do with the way that we interact with those that history, you know, in terms of making it something which is viable for people's livelihoods as well. I mean, people depend, some people depend on our understanding of the past in order to make a living, whether it's through tourism, whether it's through the protection or development of, of important sites of connection, whether it's through gen- other kinds of cultural work, people who work on revital- language revitalization, for example, people who work in in the promotion and development and teaching of, of regional languages, which is very important throughout Indonesia, the teaching of Sundanese in schools in West Java, the teaching of Balinese in, in Bali. All of those people who work in those fields have an investment in understanding and knowing about Kawi culture because it's the root of what we do today. It's, a, it's the root of those cultural traditions. And without that understanding, we're unable to really ground, I think, our own relationship to that culture, whether it's in the present or when we look back. And I think that many people are aware of that fact. There's a, there's a, I often feel when I go to Indonesia and when I talk to people, there's a really strong desire to have a closer relationship with Kawi culture and the heritage that it entails. There is not a sense of apathy or, or disengagement or anything like that. When I speak to people about it, there is always, very, very often, there is a strong sense of a wish to know to know more and to be closer and to understand and a sense of, well, I ought to. I'm an Indonesian person and I ought to be closer with the history of who I am, with the culture that has been that has been developing for all of these centuries. And so that's why I think that it's a really, a really kind of crucial project and one that I'm very excited and privileged to be a part of. You can also find out more about the Kawi Festival and more generally learn about the community and society that we're developing at the website kawisociety.org. So kawisociety.org. Jara, thank you very much for joining us on the CX Stories podcast. And if you'd like to hear more from Jara, he has previously spoken to CX Stories about the materiality of history writing in pre-modern Java. So look that up if it's of interest. Jara, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Natalie. You've been listening to CX Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our CX Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. 
And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.